I pray that what what is said today would encourage us, move us, challenge us to take the message of the gospel to people who need it. We we know that's actually why we're here. We know that's why you haven't returned yet. Because more people need to hear the life-saving message of the cross. So I pray that as we, as we listen to this time, this sermon, that you would have your word shared. You'd say what you want to say. Please use me in that process. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't think I'm going to be that funny, okay, as that video. But I thought it might be a good way to start, okay? I thought it might be a good way to start. So would you turn to Acts chapter 24? Acts 24, uh, Paul is in jail and on trial. So I thought this would be a great Sunday to talk about. This is how you share your faith the next time you're in jail. Okay, are you ready? Next time you're in jail, this is how you do it. Um, And I think with that video, even as I think about the video that we just watched, you know, we have a lot of methods, don't we? I mean, we have the tracks, you know, we we have the, the, there's the bullhorn stand on the corner. But probably most of you have been saved through a relationship that you had. Someone cared enough about you and they made it personal. It felt personal. And so... Everything I say today, I think it's going to revolve around this idea that evangelism is personal. It's personal. All right, so let's take a look. <clears throat> we, said, we looked at last week that the Apostle Paul was on trial before his Jewish brothers and sisters. That didn't go so well. Uh, we haven't read the passage, but I'm going to refer to it, where Paul, uh, there was a plot to kill him, and so they had to get him out of there. And now he's going on trial before a man named Felix. So here we have another trial, and, and actually the rest of the book is going to be Paul in confinement, on trial, uh, and, and hopefully uh, you're still going to see some amazing things from a man who is not, a, we wouldn't call it the high point of his life, right? But there's some really great truths that we need to get from this. So here is Paul on trial. Acts chapter 24, we're looking at uh, verse 1. It says, uh, five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus, and they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. Now, the governor's name is Felix. We'll stop right there. The governor's name is Felix. I'm going to tell you a few things about the governor before we go any further. He was a former slave, and because his brother had connections in uh, the imperial family, you know, the family of Caesar, the, fam- the family in Rome, he was not only freed from being a slave, but he kept getting elevated due to this family relationship thing. So he went from slave to now uh, an important governor, the governor of Judea. All right, so probably by this time, he probably served about six years in, in that place as governor, hearing cases, ruling. There was a lot of uprisings and, and, and Jewish people trying to oppose Felix, you know, resisting him. He's described as a brutal man. I'll get the quote for you. This is the Roman historian Tacitus, and he said, and I quote, he was a master of cruelty and lust who exercised the powers of a king with the spirit of a slave. 
That's how the historians describe him. Um, he had three wives. One of them we're going to see a little bit later in the passage today. This is not a nice guy. This is a brutal guy, uh, a guy enslaved to his own appetites, uh, okay, his own passions. Okay, so here's what we've got. Verse 2. When Paul was called in, Tertullus, he's a lawyer, presented his case before Felix. We've enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I'd request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. We found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews and all over the world. He's a ringleader of the Nazarene sect, and, we even, try, and he even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. By examining him yourself, you'll be able to learn the truth about these charges we're bringing against him. And the Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. So, here are the charges being brought against Paul. They bring in this fancy lawyer, you know, and he's going to prosecute the, the case. Tertullus is his name. He's brought in to speak eloquently to Felix. And you kind of get this sense that in the first verses there, two through four, He's just buttering up Felix, isn't he? You know, like you're doing such great things. You're bringing reforms to our nation and we hate you. You know, like that's that's the feeling of the Jews. They don't like this guy, but they got to work with him. So it's like, Felix, you are the best. Would you please hear our case and do what we ask you? This is a bad guy, you know. So uh, here's some of the accusations he makes. We'll go through these very quickly. He says, Paul's a troublemaker and he has a history of stirring up riots wherever he goes. This is a bad guy, this Paul. Number two, he says, Paul is a ringleader of a sect of the Nazarenes. He's saying, this guy is not in line with the Jewish religion. He's part of this, this offshoot that we don't want to recognize, and, and, and that makes him dangerous. He's not part of us. Number three, he says, Paul is accused of desecrating the temple. He came in here, and, and, and the temple is a holy place, and he brought unholy people into the temple. And that's wrong. He's desecrated our place of worship. And number four, this is kind of interesting. He says, Felix, you ought to question Paul yourself. And he's confident, I think, in that moment, that Paul's going to indict himself with his own testimony. Like, remember last week when, when Paul's getting questioned and, and he kind of accidentally maybe called the high priest a whitewashed wall? You know, like, you know, down with you, right? God's going to strike you. And, and, and like Paul just kind of had this outburst, and I'm sure I'm sure Tertullus is thinking, Felix, if you ask him enough questions, he's going to get himself in trouble. This guy's kind of a hothead, you know. Like I, th- I think that's the kind of the idea behind it. Now, at the end of that, it has in verse I think it's uh, let's see, it's verse nine. It says you have all these Jewish people, and they're kind of like the Amen people. They're just like, yeah, that's right, Amen. You know, you tell them, and 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 they're kind of like off to the side there. Now, verse ten is. Paul's response. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you've been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. You can easily verify no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anyone else, anywhere else in the city, and they cannot prove to you the charges that they're now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. 
I believe in everything that agrees with the law and is written in the prophets, and I have the same hope in God as these men, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor to present offerings. I was ceremonial clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there were some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. Or these who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Unless it's this one thing, I shouted as I stood in their presence, it is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. So here's what Paul does. Did you notice how different he starts his whole thing, you know? Like Tertullus is like, oh, great Felix, you know? And Paul's like, I heard you've been governor for six years, so I will gladly make my defense before you. Like, there's no buttering up. There's no, like, trying to to get his way with Felix. He's like, I'm just going to tell you the truth. That's it. And I trust that you're wise enough that you're going to judge for yourself. Here's Paul's defense. Number one, uh, he says, I'm not arguing and I'm not stirring up a crowd in the temple. He says, I've only been in Jerusalem. I've only been in the area for like 12 days. I haven't done any of this. Number two, he says, I'm a member of the way. I, I admit that I am a member of this smaller group of people. We call ourselves the way. But listen, we've got the same scriptures as everybody else in the Jewish faith. We listen to the law and the prophets. It's the same deal. And we have the same hope of the resurrection. This, this is not some weird twisting of the Bible. We are right in line with the scriptures. And I'm sure if he would go on, he would have said, and Jesus is the fulfillment of those scriptures. Okay, number three. He says, I did not defile the temple. Actually, if you remember, we looked at this about three weeks, two or three weeks ago. Paul was ceremonially clean. Remember, he, st- he took part in that Nazarite vow at the end with those guys. They recommended he do that. So actually, when Paul was in the temple, it, just by accident, he happened to be clean because he listened to the leaders and he got himself clean. So he's like, I-, I didn't desecrate the temple. I didn't create a disturbance in the temple. Okay. And number four, he says, actually, my, acu- my accusers, the Asian Jews, they're not here. I mean, more than likely, they went home. You know, they worshipped in the temple. They saw Paul. They raised the, you know, raised the riot, you know. But, but they went home with their families. They didn't stay there. So they're not here to even represent themselves. That's his argument. Here is what happens next. And this is where I want to focus our thoughts on evangelism. Uh, verse 22. Verse 22. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way another name for Christianity, adjourn the proceedings. When Lysias, a commander, comes, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, that was his third wife, who was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid, and he said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, so he sent for him frequently and talked with him. Verse 27. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. Got to love these names. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. 
he left Paul in prison. How will you share your faith the next time you are in jail? Uh, <clears throat> I'm not preaching about that. What, what I really want to get at is that when we evangelize, evangelism is a very personal thing. Your faith is a very personal thing. Um, that's why we sometimes call it personal evangelism. I want you to think, um, if, if, if you're talking to somebody that you know in town, and, and you ask, what are you doing for the weekend? They'll probably tell you whatever the activities they are. Well, we might be going on the lake. We might be having some friends over. You know, they're just going to give you some things that are going on. It's like asking, how's the weather? Here's what we're doing. If you see that same friend in town and you say, how is your marriage? <clears throat> how is your marriage? They might say, <clears throat> can I get that water right there, by the way? They might say, Fine. And that you might press in and say, no, really, how, how is your marriage? I really want to know, how are you doing with your spouse? That's personal. And hopefully you have a relationship to be able to go to that place. Now, sharing about Jesus is something you can do with strangers. It's something you can do with people that you know really well. But let's not mistake what we're doing. This is a very personal thing that we're doing when we talk to somebody about the faith. It's not like, hi, how's the weather? That's easy. This is personal. So I want to make a couple points about how the personal part of evangelism. Um, and I want to address it from two different perspectives, okay? I want to address it from Paul's perspective, and then I want to address it from Felix's perspective. The perspective of someone who doesn't know Jesus yet, Okay? But first, let's just talk about it from Paul's perspective. If evangelism is this personal thing that we do, sharing about the heart, if Christianity is a personal religion, and it is, it's not about behavior modification. Christianity is about God changing your heart, forgiving you, cleansing you. It's a personal thing. God doesn't just say, do better. He says, I'm going to change you from the inside out. Christianity is a personal faith, and we're sharing it personally with people. Here's what I would say to you that are like Paul and going to be sharing your faith with other people, here's what I'd say to you. Don't take it personally. Don't take it personally when you get rejected. I think when it comes to us sharing our faith, there is something deeply personal about it. And when someone says no, it's hard not to take that personally. But you can't. You can't take it personally. You can't take offense. You can't say, well, forget you then. D don't, don't take it personally when you get rejected. Um, let, me, let me, in this text, Felix has all of the political power. And he uses it, it says, Scripture says he uses it to, uh, in verse 23, give Paul some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. That's kind of Felix. He's holding the political power here. He's holding power over Paul. Um, but verse 27 says, two years passed like this. I mean, it's great that you did Paul a favor, but what about letting him go? What about closing the case? And verse 27 says, Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews. So for political purposes, to score some brownie points, he leaves Paul in confinement with some freedoms, but still confined. 
hard not to take that personally. I mean, he called for Paul. Come on in. I want to. I want to hear more. I want to hear more. Come on in and tell me more. I mean, we hear that as well. But two years of that, two years of not seeing the case through. Try sharing Christ with someone who has power over you and has you locked up, and you do that for two years. Don't take it personally when people say, no, thank you, I want nothing to do with that. Don't take it personally. I think it's kind of like, um, you ever tried to help one of your kids? They're working on a project or something, and uh, you say, can I help you with that? No, 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 I got it, I got it, I got it. And they're building this thing, and you're like, oh, man, that's a train wreck. Uh, can I tell you? No, 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 I got, I got, I got, I got, I got this. You know, or maybe you were sitting in the front seat when they were first learning to drive and you were trying to give them some pointers. No, no, Dad, I got it. I know where to turn. I know what I'm doing. I went to the class. No, 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 wait, you need to hear because you're not. No, no. And you know you know something they need to hear. You're the expert, right? But they don't want to hear it. Um, don't take it personally. Keep being faithful. Keep sharing. The moment you start taking it personally... You, you shut that person out. I'm done with you. I'm giving up on you. I'm not going to pray for you anymore. And then you're not evangelizing for the years. You're evangelizing once, maybe twice. And that's it. Don't take it personally. Um, this is interesting too. Did you notice it says in verse 26, he was hoping Paul would offer him a bribe, so he sent for him frequently and talked to him. A bribe? Um, maybe he thought, because Paul said, I brought money to Jerusalem for the poor. Maybe he thought Paul was wealthy. Maybe Paul was wealthy in some sense. I don't know. Maybe he had access to funds. We're not told. But in any case, he's hoping Paul slips him some money, and then he'll let Paul free. Paul doesn't compromise his integrity. Think about this. When you're in a relationship with somebody, there's many things they might want from you. You know, They want your friendship. They may want you to join them in doing something that is against your faith, against your convictions. Come on, why won't you join me and do this? Why, won't you, why don't you laugh when I talk like that? Why don't you join in the conversation? And, and you're thinking, I, I can't talk like that. I can't go there. I can't do that. It goes against my convictions. There's a sense where they want to bribe. Please join me in my sin. And you're offering Christ. Right? I'm giving you something better than the bribe. I'm giving you something better than money. I'm giving something better than joining you in your sin. I'm offering Jesus. Jesus is better than the bribe. You know? And they won't have it. Don't take it personally when what they really want from you is to join them in their sin and you're trying to offer the Savior. I think that's Paul's perspective on it. You know, he's got two years of this. But number two, I would say this. Why don't you let them take it personally? I, I think this passage shows us that. What was Felix's emotional reaction to Paul's sharing. First of all, what was Paul sharing? Paul was sharing three things, three words. He was sharing righteousness, self-control, and judgment. Now, 
that's Luke's way of like summarizing what Paul is talking about. Righteousness, self-control, judgment. So I imagine Paul was saying something like this. Listen, Felix. God is a righteous God. We are unrighteous in our sin, all that we have done. But God wants to make us righteous in Christ. He wants to forgive us. Let me talk to you about self-control. I do the things that I don't want to do. I do them a lot. But when I turn to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into me and gives me the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control. But because of a lack of self-control, God's judgment is coming. There's a day God's going to judge everyone the believers and the non-believers, and he will judge with justice. You yourself are a judge. You understand this. And God is a perfect judge. So even though, Felix, you don't know maybe necessarily if I've done right or wrong, this or that, God knows everything you've done. And he will bring the hidden things to judgment. And on one of those occasions, the scripture says, Drusilla, Felix's third wife, was present for that. It never says she asked to see Paul again after that. I could see why. She was married to a king and left the king because she fell in love with Felix. She probably married him for all the reasons of, of lust and wealth and the power that Felix had. We're told by historians Felix married her for her beauty. Righteousness, self-controlled judgment. And she never saw Paul again, as far as we're told. Felix saw him again. He enjoyed the conversation sometimes and hoped he would get a bribe. But what was the emotional reaction that Felix had when Paul talked about those three things? Fear. Fear. If you share your faith with somebody and they take it personally and you see fear or anger or sadness or any one of these emotional things. Look, some of us get really uncomfortable around emotions. I get it, right? You know? Um, but if you see those things coming from somebody, that may be an excellent sign that God is working on their heart. They're scared of what's going to happen when they face the judge. That's a legitimate reaction to the gospel. What's going to happen to me? They might get mad at you and say, why are you telling me these things? You know, you're judging me. You're, you're telling me I need to turn from my sin. Who are you to let them take it personally? Now, don't be annoying. Don't, don't, don't be, you know, uh, the, the cart, I, cartoons when I was little. You kids don't even know this. Some of these examples don't even work because, you know. Remember the cartoons when you, when you had the Looney Tunes and Pepe Le Pew? Remember that guy, you know? Stinks really bad, and he's always trying to, to love that cat, you know, and he's trying to, was it a cat? Trying to hug her, but he's a skunk, you know, this is not working. And he's just, he's just annoying, and he's, he's trying to get her attention, and he's just, you know, on and on and on and on and on. You don't want to be that, you know what I mean? Right? There, there's an annoying way to do this. We saw the bullhorn thing on the video earlier, you know, and, 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 and the gospel fingers, whatever that glove thing was, you know. <laughs> I saw on the, uh, I don't know if, if you like Christian satire, but there was, a, there was a, a headline recently that said that the waitress actually paid for her rent with the, 
with, with, uh, with the gospel tract, $100 tip, you know, she pay, helped pay for her rent. Now, we all laugh because we know that's impossible. You can't pay for your rent with a fake $100 bill that's actually a tip, that, that's actually a, a gospel tract, you know. And I think that's the point. Um, there's some things that we can do that might be really annoying to unbelievers. Let's not stink up the place, you know. But, but, if you build a relationship with somebody and lovingly tell them about Jesus and they get ticked off about it, that can be a really good thing because they're taking it personally. And God's working in their heart because evangelism is personal. Evangelism touches places people don't want to be, don't want to have the Lord touch their lives in that way. I'm reminded of uh, Paul's words, you know, to some people we're the stench of death, but to others the aroma of Christ. Some people are, you're, you're going you're to smell really good to them, and some are going to say, I, I hate that, I don't want that. It's okay. Um, I think Felix heard Paul, and he felt convicted of what he had done. I think it's just like, uh, I remember, I remember, uh, Ooh, I shouldn't say names. Huh. At another church, there was an elder at the church, and uh, I, I was just getting to know people in the church, and, and he was telling me this story. He said, yeah, a few weeks ago, my wife made this huge pan of brownies. And he said, I ate one of the brownies, and they were so delicious, I couldn't stop eating them, and I ate every single one of them. I ate all the brownies in that pan. And then I got deathly sick, and they took me to the hospital. <laughs> you know? And I think that's it. I think when we talk about the gospel, some people feel sick to their stomach because they know they've done wrong. And that's okay because Jesus is the doctor. Let them feel sick. Let them feel sick. That's good. Let them take it personally. Okay, I want to wind things down today, and I want to suggest four things, four very practical things you can do um, in sharing your faith with other people based on this passage. Let's do them. Number one, I think getting personal with our evangelism means we've got to get relational. Like, I'm okay with guys standing on the street corner in the busy city. I, I don't have, I don't, I'm not, like, against that, depending on what they're saying, of course. Um, but getting personal means getting relational. If you're going to speak to the heart, if you're going to talk about sin issues with people, shouldn't you probably get to know them? Yeah. Shouldn't you, in some sense, earn the right to say what you're about to say to them? To touch on those issues, yeah. Now, I know there's, a, there's times when God has to speak to strangers. Awesome, do it, don't back down. But I'm saying, in general, getting personal means getting relational. And getting relational means doing whatever you normally do when you do relationships. How do you do relationships? You play pickleball? Well, then you take them to do pickleball. You know, you go work out in the weight room? Well, then you invite them to go with you. You go out on the boat, you invite them on the boat. However you do relationships, do it with them. One of the things I do is I preach every Sunday. This is a way I can share my faith, and I try to do it every week. You do whatever you do when you do relationships. Number two, getting personal means talking about sin and salvation you got to get to the point of talking about their need for a Savior. I know many gospel tracts start with God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And I'm okay with that. But we got to get to the, you've sinned, 
you've offended a holy God, and there's judgment for that. Some of us maybe lean more on the judgment part of it, and we only talk about the sin, and people think God hates everybody, you know? I would say you've got to balance talking about sin and talking about salvation. You've got to have a balance there. Which one do you do easier? If you're the heavy sin guy, you know, you've sinned, you're wrong, you're going to hell, and that's all they ever hear, they're going to hate you, you know? But, but if you balance that with God loves you and He sent His Son to save you, they can hear that. Likewise, if you only talk about God's love, they're going to think it's all just mushy. That's all it is. Who needs to change? Who needs to repent? God just loves us all and we can just stay the way we are. But there's both. Which one do you do better? Don't forget the other. Uh, that's what Paul did with Felix, obviously. And it made the relationship a little more difficult, I'm, I'm sure. But that's okay. Felix needed to hear it. Drusilla needed to hear it. Number three. Uh, getting personal means you're invested for the long haul. The long haul. Paul's not going anywhere. He's not going anywhere. He's, you know, he's in confinement. He has a little bit of freedom, but he's there. So next time you're in jail, this will work really well. But, but for the people that are not in jail, you have every ability just to walk away from the person and say, forget you. And sometimes we probably should distance ourselves from unhealthy people. I, I understand that. But evangelism is often measured in years, right? Evangelism is often measured in years. It's your kids. It's your parents. It's your friends from high school. It's your college roommates. These people that you love and that you're not going to stop loving them and you're not going to stop living out your faith. You're not going to stop talking about Jesus. You're not going to try to be annoying, but you're going to be winsome. And it's years. Don't give up. Paul did it for two years. You can do it for years also. Fourthly and finally, um, getting personal does not mean compromising your integrity to build a relationship. Some of you might need to hear that. Some of you are like, you know, be all things to all men, you know, and you're just going right along with everything they're doing. Laugh at what they laugh at, watch what they watch, do what they do. No. We don't offer bribes. We don't use underhanded means to build false bridges to people. We have standards. And if someone says, I hate your standards and that's it, I'm cutting this thing off, okay, I'll keep praying, but that can be the end of it then, you know? I'm not compromising to build the bridge. I hope you heard something you needed to hear today. Um, I hope something you can take home with you. Um, Maybe that you won't take things personally. Maybe you'll let other people take things personally instead. But I have a word for you that don't know Christ today. You've heard me talk clearly about the judgment of God. This is what it says about Felix. Um, Verse 25. As Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, That's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. And some of you, you are Felix, you know? And you've told yourself, When I find it convenient, I'll figure out the God thing. 
when I find it convenient, I'll make my decision about Jesus. When I find it convenient, I'll start making church a priority in my life. You've done the convenient thing. For Felix, it never seemed, as far as what the Scripture tells us, it was never actually the convenient time to give his life to Christ. He just never got there, as far as we know. Maybe on his deathbed something different happened, and we'll see him and we'll be like, yes. We don't know. We just don't know. We don't really know how Felix's life turned out. We don't have a lot of information about that. I can't tell you what his end was like. But maybe for you, the convenient time is now. Is now. Could I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're sensing that now is the time and you'd like to give your life to Christ and confess your sins and say, I'm wrong, I've done wrong, I deserve judgment, but Jesus died to pay the price for that, to make me righteous, to help me with self-control, to save me from the judgment to come. If that is what God is saying to you right now, I'd invite you to pray a prayer like this. It's not magical. It only means something if you mean it. But would you pray it? Lord Jesus, today I have seen that there is judgment in store for me. And that when I stand before you, it will not go well for me. I know what I've done. And right now, you are personally engaging with me. So I confess that sin. I turn from it. And I want to embrace the salvation that Jesus is offering me today. I'm so thankful He died for me. So thankful He paid for the price that He would take the judgment that I deserve on the cross. Please forgive me and please help me follow you. And please help me show my faith even by being baptized to declare it to others. This has changed me. You have changed me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And with your heads down and your eyes closed, if if somebody prayed that prayer today, would you look up at me at this time if, if this was your day? Okay. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Anybody else? All right. We have an orange book that's a gift for you called Multiply. helps you take the first steps in your faith. That's on the right on your way out. Please take one with our blessing. Please get plugged into a church. Please follow your Savior. Don't stop now. If you want us to baptize you, that's always like the next step you should take. Get baptized. Go in the water. It symbolizes the cleansing of your sins. Do that. For the rest of us, let me pray. And I'll pray for, those, for, for the gentleman that responded. Let's pray. Father, I pray for this man who has prayed with you today. I pray that you would ignite his faith that it would be a burning flame that it would never be extinguished. That you'd protect him from doubts and wondering what really happened today, but to know that you love him, to set him on the rock of Jesus, to send him into your word, the Bible. 
Help him get to know you. Help him follow you all the rest of his days. And share his faith with others so that they too might know the good news. Father, for us, I pray for your church that we also would be faithful in sharing. Some people we want to give up on. Some people, it drives us crazy and we think they've had so many chances and I've said so much. I pray for more open doors. I pray for more open hearts. I pray for more conversations. I pray for more salvations. That you would use this church to seek and save the lost. Help us not take it personal when we get turned down, when we get rejected, when when people are rude. But help us keep on and be faithful with this treasure you've given to us, the message of the gospel. So may we go now and be dismissed with your blessing to go, be, do, and say all that you've entrusted us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you this week.